you can be really successful if you hire people who are independent and you treat them with respect, you train, you coach, you give them the tools they need and let them, let them do what they want to do. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Whitby, and I am so excited to be joined today by Pat Corrigan. Pat's the founder of Palladium Point. They're a leading executive search firm based in St. Louis, serving the commercial insurance industry nationally. Pat's recruitment career spans 15 years, and for the last six years, he's been focused on building high-performing sales teams for leading commercial insurance brokers. After spending years leading the sales recruitment function for a global insurance broker, Pat pursued his entrepreneurial dreams and started his own firm. Since launching in 2022, they have grown extremely rapidly. I'm honored to have Pat as a member of our Inner Circle Coaching Program and can't wait to learn from him today. Pat, thanks for being here. Welcome. Thank you, Mark, and uh, appreciate the kind introduction. Um, I think you hear this all the time, but you know, the impact that you make in the, the recruitment community uh, through this podcast, through your, your coaching program is, is extraordinary. It's made a huge impact on me. As I reflect back on my journey, you know, we connected years ago and I've consumed every episode. I think of your podcast, I've learned a ton. You've kind of been a catalyst uh, for me to meet industry leaders and I've learned a ton from them. So uh, appreciate the opportunity and what you've done um, for me up to this point. Oh, thank you so much, Pat. I, uh, you've made my day. I, I, I appreciate that very much. Um, in fact, you know, we first connected, I, I was looking up recently, it was October, 2021. Mm-hmm. And um, we started talking even before you launched your business. Um, and uh, so I, I'm just so you know pleased for you at how well it's gone. Congrats on one year in business, by the way. What a phenomenal year you've had. Thank you so much. I, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, going back, it's coming up on on two years. I, I think about the importance of of planning and you know, learning from others and just, again, consuming information and how that laid the foundation. It really gave me confidence to say, I'm going to walk away from a great situation to take this plunge. Like if I didn't do that and meet the kind of people I met from the Pinnacle Society and you and asking tons of questions and learning and podcasts and blogs, I don't think I'd, I'd have that foundation to, to kind of take off. So it's been, uh, it's been quite a, quite a journey up until this point, but I, pr- I appreciate the one year shout out. It's been been an absolute blast and we're really just just getting started. Amazing. Well, I can't wait to hear about how you made that transition moving from a corporate recruiter to an agency recruiter and owner and producer. Um, before we get into that, like, how did you get into recruiting in the first place, Pat? Yeah, so I've been at it now 14, 15 years. I, I think about this quite often. I look back at my college days. It's kind of one of those semi-directionless uh, college kids. Like I got a business degree and psych- minor in psychology and didn't have like a, you know, STEM or accounting and econ or whatever, where you kind of get that degree and you sort of have a path. Like I had sort of a loose, I knew I liked to work with people. I was a relationship kind of person, but I didn't know what to necessarily do with that. So I got into um, luxury hospitality. I got like an HR recruiting position right out of college and quickly realized HR was not for me. Um, a lot of respect for them, but I was more of a outbound, you know, uh, relationship kind of salesperson. So at the time I was living with a good friend of mine who ended up being the best man at my wedding and he was in IT staffing. So he worked at an agency 
and uh, never really asked him like, what do you do or what is it like? But he'd come home and I've told this story before that, you know, he'd have like a case of beer or something on a Friday, he'd celebrate like a big commission like placement or something like that. And I was like, well, I gotta learn more about that. We live together, you're one of my best friends. Like, tell me a little bit more about this. And so got an interview with this kind of regional IT staffing firm and got hired quickly and just kind of took off from there. We moved up to Chicago. We we're both single at the time, helped open an office, learned a ton and just developed my career in that side over probably 10 years or so. And then, yeah, like you said, got into, um, my wife and I started a family, had yeah, our firstborn. I didn't want to do the 50, 60 hour weeks and grinding like I was. So pivoted into a, um, more of an internal recruiter role, but it still was, had like a headhunting kind of aspect to it. Like we, we were no posting positions. It was all outbound. So it was not your typical TA internal role, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it was more of a corporate position. I did that for five years and I'm incredibly grateful for that chance to learn the insurance industry, work with some incredible people, great mentors. And it really just got me on that path to say, hey, there's an opportunity in this industry that I think is underserved from a recruitment perspective. And, you know, took the, took the plunge after, again, years of planning, but, but took the plunge last year. And um, yeah, I'm probably one of those rare people that made the internal to uh, agency owner, founder, producer, but um, yeah, happy yeah, to that's... elaborate on that. I think there's, there's, there might be others out there that are in that position. Where exactly. If... I would love to explore that further um, because it is more rare. You see more traffic going the other way, right? People mm -hmm. who start an agency and then they migrate to internal and corporate, you'd see less traffic going the other way, but I'm sure they are out there. So if they're listening, you know, yeah. if you're a MTA, you're a corporate recruiter right now, but you you know, would like to start your own business at some stage and maybe come to the dark side, then um, <laughs> Pat is a potential role model here. But look, before we dive in there, could you, I believe there is um, a moment in your career which was quite pivotal where you actually got let go from one of your recruiting jobs. Could you tell that story? Yeah, absolutely. It's incredibly impactful for my not just my career, but my my overall life in general. And I'll explain why in a second. But yeah, we, we was doing great work. It was very unexpected. I was up in Chicago, originally from St. Louis. Um, and yeah, it, was, it taught me resilience. I was in a position in my life where I never saw that coming. I was like, I'm not the guy that this happens to. Um, but there were differences in directions and stuff. And sure enough, like I was given that message and I was absolutely stunned and sort of like, what do I do from here? And I had to really take a step back and reflect and think and bounce back. And, you know, I was living in River North, a nice downtown area of Chicago, high rise, like had that kind of life. So I'm like, I got to quickly pivot here and figure out what, you know, what's next for me. And I got an opportunity to, from a, another staffing company to move back to St. Louis, um, which then kind of triggered a sequence of events that led me to where I'm at now. Like I met my now wife and we got family and I got a position to get into more of a leadership role at, at a staffing company. And then, you know, got a call from a headhunter about the position at my previous company. If I wasn't in St. Louis, I wouldn't have got that call. Probably wouldn't have found the insurance industry, which then I wouldn't have obviously done what I'm doing now because I have a you know niche and a credibility in this space. So I, I'd say that journey because I think every step of the way, you know, I think there's just things you can learn from. I firmly believe that there's 
a path that is kind of leading you places. You just got to be aware of surroundings around you, who's in your inner circle, who can you learn from and just sort of trust the process to a certain extent, make, take some risks and, and, um, just bounce back. I mean, it's like the, your title of your, your, your podcast. I mean, it's, there's, there was no more resilient, uh, testing kind of event that happened in my life than, than that. And like I said, it affected everything because I got back home, met my wife, got a beautiful young family and it all just, if it didn't happen, who knows, maybe I'd still be, um, up there kind of grinding away in the staffing industry in Chicago where I had no family and no, you know, a couple friends, but it, it didn't feel like home. That event kind of moved me in the direction where I needed to be. And so hindsight, it, it all worked out exactly as it should have. And, you know, I'm actually kind of grateful that the event happened. Wow. That is such an amazing story. Thank you for sharing it. And yeah, it's a great, it sounds like you've already done a lot of soul searching and thinking about, you know, past challenges, setbacks, you know, uh, unpleasant experiences. And you've already, you know, sifted that to the point where you realized that it was actually a positive. Um, and I, I think that's a valuable exercise for people to, to, to take. Cause sometimes, I mean, we all have traumatic experiences, things that were, you know, terrible at the time, which, you know, we've gone through. And sometimes that is still causing us pain today and affecting us adversely. And not all things can be a, a sort of reframed this way, but some of those things, you know, we can, uh, with the benefit of hindsight, like uh, sometimes your worst days turn out to be your best days with the benefit of hindsight, right? And had you not been let go, it's possible you might not have moved to St. Louis, met with your wife, you know, had your family, started your business. So that whole trajectory, which has led you to where you are now, you know, and I, I on the outside looking in, it looks like you're having, the, you know, a blast and you, you couldn't be happier. And, um, you know, it's hard to really see it that way when you're going through it, of course, but uh, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Totally agree. When that happened, I mean, I never would have imagined that I'd ever be doing what I'm doing. I didn't grow up in an entrepreneurial family. It just was never on my radar. But again, it's just the sequence of events. I just firmly believe that um, they're taking you places. Like, I don't want to get yeah. too existential, but um, <laughs> there's a certain element of that that I, I believe in and yeah. learning from everything that comes your way. And it's just in our industry, just happened yesterday. We had a potential placement that move somewhere else, but it's a coaching opportunity for my team to say, you know, we got to move on. This person is now at a potential future client. Um, we're going to, you know, keep, keep that door open and continue to build relationships and, and move forward. If you get too caught up in the day-to-day -day and events that may not go your way, yeah, you know, it's, it, it's, it, it can take in dark rabbit holes that, that you, that are hard to dig out of. So just kind of being mindful in the moment and, and just always trying to move forward. Love it. That's it. That's amazing. I, it's funny. I, um, some, some people know the story that the first coach I worked with who inspired me to become a coach myself is a guy called Ravi Tangri. And he actually got me to do an exercise where I looked at, you know, what did I consider my successes up until that point? And then like mind mapping, well, what, what can I learn from those successes? And then also looking at my quote unquote failures, what are the mistakes, the failures that still, like uh, that really 
uh, I can't shake loose that still kind of cause me um, self-doubt and, and, you know, um, and pain when I think about them and what can I learn from or take away from, from those experiences. And it was a really useful thought exercise to discover that actually those failures had some real upsides. Um, so thanks for sharing. I think that could be valuable to, you know, one or probably more people listening, Pat. Um, so let's talk about your leaving your very comfortable corporate gig to set up your own firm. Like what, what prompted that? Cause that's not, um, yeah, that's not the obvious yeah. choice for many people. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you, you know, a ton of them out there. I think there's a lot of like top billers at MRI franchises or, you know, just this big billers at firms that say, I'm going to, I want to do this my way and ride out a non-compete and get going. And yeah, that wasn't me. Um, so, but what I did have was, you know, I, I, I got the work ethic. I've got the grit. I had a, um, you know, a, a niche, I think, and an expertise that had developed over five years that I knew, hey, there's something, something here. So I think if you're, yeah, it, it just sort of prompted, I started thinking more probably during the pandemic. And I've said this before, like I've, I look at my life almost in different chapters. Like the first chapter was, again, figuring stuff out, taking some risks. I was a little distracted at times, um, not totally had the direction that I, I do now. And now I'm a lot more, you know, reflective and mindful and stuff. And I'm just like, have a why of what I do and what I do. And once that started clicking, and I think the pandemic again, kind of forced more reflective, like, am I totally fulfilled doing what I'm doing? And I was comfortable, life was good, worked with great people, great organization, had tons of flexibility, but something was, something was missing. Like I just wasn't totally stimulated by what I was doing. And I got that, that kind of bug to say, I'm gonna think about this entrepreneurial journey. It wasn't something I did overnight. Like I said earlier, tons of conversations, a lot of learning. But once I got to that point where I met people like, you know, Gail Otterberg, Joe Rice, Jeremy Sizemore, Rich Rose, and these people that said, yeah, like if you've got what it takes and you can bet on yourself, then do it. it was be it'll be the best movie you ever make. And so those just sort of compounded over time and said, all right, I, let's go. And so I, I built out a business plan. I looked at my relationships. I looked at, I knew all the competitive intel in the markets that I served. And so I just sort of mapped out saying, you know, what's the black swan event that can happen here? It's like, if all things do not go as planned, can I still get by and get enough momentum to, to do this long-term? And it ultimately got to a point, like, I bet on myself to say, yeah, there's there's enough here to to give this a run. And luckily the black swan event did not happen at all. It's it, We've exceeded all the projections I've put together. But again, it took a ton of planning, a ton of reflecting, a ton of vetting my network and asking questions almost of like, hey, should I do this? What do you think? Is this a horrible idea? Is it a great idea? And it all just sort of consistently led me to, to let's go. And, and there, there we go. But, um, yeah, just something I did not take lightly, um, before doing it. So if I caution anybody, it's like, do your planning, do your thinking, make sure you've got cash reserves to hold you over for a while. Luckily I had a bonus that I, I got that I used to kind of get the, get the gears going early. So I was in a unique situation there, but all things had to line up for me to say, Let's go. Because again, a young family, my wife is a nurse, a, you know, failure or plan B just didn't, didn't exist. So with that much, you know, weight on the shoulders, I needed to, I needed to nail it. 
you know what you you said a few things there that I wanted to just recap. Number one is you did put a lot of thought and planning into this, Pat. Right? It, you didn't do this on a whim. Like you were you were prepared. You did your homework. Um, and number two is that you had a, a, a niche focus. You had an industry that you were already you know successful in, skilled at. You had that network, and therefore you had the confidence that you were going to be able to do deals because uh, you had that track record. Number three, you you built up the cash reserves so that you had a runway that you know if it took you three to six months to get off the ground, then things were you know were still going to be okay. Um, so I think all of those are really important. It's like have a business plan, have cash reserves, and you know know how you're like how you're going to get customers. I think that's the top three things you need. But ultimately, you, you place a bet on yourself because yeah. there is risk. There's risk inherent in in anything. Yeah. Um, One thing I may have breezed over a little yeah. too fast is the business development in the in the sales aspects. Because okay. although I was never a BD person, like, you know, I wasn't trained in a MRI office of like how to run a sales process. I think that actually was a good thing for me because I focus on... I'm a casual, you know, I like the human one-to-one aspect of things. Having conversations like this with prospective clients saying, I just want to learn about your business. Like, tell me about where you're going. What what struggles are you having? How can we potentially help? What's your three to five year, uh, you know, sales recruitment goals? Where are your gaps? What's worked? What's not? It's not this rigid, like, hey, we got to follow this step-by-step kind of SOP for me. And so I kind of came into it where I am that kind of extroverted salesperson, but I didn't have the formal training. And I think it actually bodes well because I just, I treat any interaction just like curiosity of wanting to learn. And that's my sales, then my sales approach. Like there's probably other sales gurus out there that would kind of look at this approach and say, wow, that's that's different, but it's just, it's just who I am. And it, it serves my audience very well and the types of people that I want to make an impact with and the companies that I want to partner with. So. Yeah, I came in with not, not not a ton of like true sales experience, but you know, it's it's kind of resulted in a, a another kind of positive, fresh, I think, perspective on uh, on things. Definitely, I can see uh, like it is important to have that authenticity and to also be different. If you sound like everyone else, then you know you're 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 not gonna you're not gonna stand out, are you? So. I'd love to break down, Pat, like you've just literally celebrated, well, a couple of weeks ago, you celebrated your first year anniversary in business. Um, can you break down what do you think have been the key factors that have enabled you to uh, drive revenue and build a team in such a short space of time? Yeah, so we've, it's, it's going to be a lot of the recurring stuff we've talked about, but I'll I'll go a little bit further. And I think the first thing that I I think attribute a lot of the success to is it was going back to a lot of reflection. Like when I started this, I thought I was going to be a solo biller, right? Run everything, be the deal person, kind of that was going to be the lifestyle for the next um, 20 years or however long I, I do this. But I quickly realized um, from for a number of reasons that that wasn't, that's not my path anymore. It is scaling a business you know, creating opportunities for others, um, being more of a visionary and 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 true kind of owner, EMIT type uh, business building. Um, but it took that it took that kind of 
reflecting and say, what do I really want? Do I want to be involved in everything or do I want to double down, invest, train, coach others to greater leverage um, myself? So when I had that moment, I said, yeah, it was a great situation to be in. I needed, I had a capacity problem. I had a lot of clients very quickly needing and wanting my expertise and services to get connected to um, great sales professionals and producers in our industry. And so I said, this, if I'm going to l- deliver the level of service that I want to and my personal brand is attached to, I've got to hire and, and build a team. And so kind of plotted things along. I hired an operations person because I'm not good at, I'll talk about the concept of leverage all the time because I own my gaps and I'm not good at um, you know SOPs and workflows and uh, integrations of stuff. And so I hired an operations person. She's really good at that. And so helped establish a foundation, hired a first recruiter four months ago. When this airs, we'll have another who's starting on Monday. And so we're just steadily you know, building the team. We have a researcher and a sourcer. And so the level of success was attributed to the, the team that's around me to help A, you know, produce, B, like set up a platform that enables more to produce and then frees me up to do what I'm best at, which is work with clients, you know, working with high level candidates, et cetera. So it's that kind of vision of the business has really enabled us to scale. Cause there's only so much I could do as a solo person with the types of people we go after. I would have, um, just slowly kind of slogged through, through these things. So shout out to all my, my team, um, out there for helping us go. Um, stop there. Is there anything uh, I can elaborate on that? Cause I could go yeah, further. Yeah, definitely. On. So, um, how long, did you work on your own before you hired your first person? Um, three, four months. So I started in August. Okay. I think um, she started in December. So yeah, we went out for four months of, of, and that was the initial like, you know, brand launch and all, all the stuff. And then once about 45 days in, I had, you know, multi-billion dollar clients. And, and that's why I was like, okay, now it's time to push pause and figure out what do I do now? Unbelievable situation to be in. I'm grateful for the, partnerships I have, but that, that kind of forced the idea of uh, how am I going to do this? And I need, I need help. Are you worried about keeping your recruitment firm up to date with the latest technology? After all, your clients expect you to be ahead of the curve, but how do you select the right tech for your recruitment firm and make sure that you earn enough new business as a direct result to make back the cost of your investment? which is why our friends at iIntro provide in-depth coaching alongside their technology to help you get the most out of your investment. They offer an extensive suite of tools, but let's just take one example, their behavioral assessment tool. It's built right into their online system, so you don't have to buy or learn a whole new platform. They also include training on how to use behavioral assessments to improve your pitching technique while also increasing the longevity of your placements to a staggering 96% after 12 months. For a free demo of iIntro's suite of recruitment tools, including behavioral assessment, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Remember, when you engage with our sponsors, you also help support this podcast. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained, then follow the instructions to get started. All right. Amazing. So we definitely need to talk about business development because if after 45 days you are already, you know, bumping into capacity issue, then, you know, you're you're obviously doing a lot of things right. So first three or four months you were working on your own. The first hire, was that your ops person? Mm-hmm. 
Could you, now I think there's real power in this and me hiring an ops person, I mean, Leanne has developed into much, much more than that, but that was an absolute pivot point in my business for us to, you know, to take off. Uh, but what was your reason for, instead of hiring a, another recruiter, to hire an ops person? Yeah, I think it's, um, at the time, I don't know if I was exactly thinking about this way, but reflecting back on it, there must have been something in my head that was saying, hey, think long-term here, kind of Simon Sinek, infinite game style, where um, I, I wanted and I needed a, a, a more of a platform to, that if I want to attract recruiters or eventually salespeople into my organization, I want to give them the platform to like get out there and kick tail. And, and I, I didn't want somebody to come in as the first recruiter and say, well, here's your like ATS license and your LinkedIn recruiter and zoom info, whatever, kind of go get them. I, as a borderline perfectionist, I think you and I shared this, that I, I like organization. I like kind of linear stuff and I, I wanted to not rush it. And I want, as we're bringing on talent, I wanted like a real solid business platform that people could access and say, wow, like you're more than just a guy in a suburb of St. Louis, you know? Um, so I, the ops person really helped me bring everything together and get that established so that when we did hire recruiters, it was a little bit more plug and play. Like we're not perfect by any means. We're learning every day and figuring stuff out, but it was at least she helped get this on the ground and that's what she's good at kind of managing projects and putting training plans together. We use ClickUp for like project management stuff, like stuff that I never would have, I didn't know any of this stuff. Like I would have just, you know, got linked to a recruiter and an ATS and CRM and just got out there and tried to make stuff happen. So it was almost unintentionally setting us up for future growth, which I know is a little bit unconventional. I think a lot of people probably hire a junior recruiter, train them up, then hire a salesperson. And then, but I just took a different approach. And I think hopefully I look back in five, seven, 10 years and say that was really, you know, a good investment. It's already paying off. So I think it, it was wise, at least in my industry and my, the business that we, uh, we operate in. Yeah, no, it's so interesting. Like, I think a lot of businesses, um, they kind of, they hustle their way through that first couple of years where they really lack the systems, the process, the platform, the, you know, integrations, the technology. Um, and ultimately that slows down and limits their growth. If you want to scale, you need a certain amount of infrastructure in place. Um, otherwise the wheels are going to fall off. Right. And, yeah. um, so that was smart, Pat. It, I, absolutely. So three or four months in, you hired your ops person. Then when did the first recruiter come along? Uh, he would have started four months ago. And I think okay. made a made a great hire. Um, he is he's exceptionally talented, had been in recruiting, you know, three or four years. But I do think if we didn't, if we didn't do what we did the four months leading up to him starting he wouldn't have had as fast of a start because it would have been a little clunky. Well, where do I go for this? Or how do I access that? Or, well, you know, templates and scripts and tools and stuff. It, it's a bit, it would have been a bit disparate if we didn't, you know, get organized and, and kind of build that out. So, you know, it's just kind of steadily growth. Like, you know, she, Adora started in three months after and Will joined and now another recruiter starting on, on Monday, but it, it was all sort of like, you know, there was intervals in between of like what we were working on and how we wanted to set things up um, to ultimately be successful. 
again, it's I've mentioned before you. I know you're a huge fan of the Michael Gerber deal, but it's yeah. it's basically that. Like I wanted almost like a franchise type model where if somebody started, they knew exactly where to access everything for every situation that consistently pops up. So whether that's a you know submission template, a interview prep, an interview debrief, how to yeah, what's our value? Yeah, you know, all the different stuff. Like we, we're constantly going through and saying, take an inventory of like stuff we're doing. Is there friction? Does this feel like it's unnecessary? Is it clunky? Okay, well, let's fix it to get to that point again where it's just a machine that's operating almost, you know, without me. I try to envision what does this look like without me in it down the road. And the goal is just to, you know, just steadily get to that point where it it can operate without me. But um, it just takes, you know, takes hiring the right people, having ideas, vetting stuff out paying attention to the market and, um, you know, taking action to, to kind of get there. I love that. So actually there's a, it's quite measured, like in terms of hiring, you like three or four months for your first hire, then say another four or five months before the next one. And then another three months or so for the next one. Um, and you're just continually up leveling and improving everything as you go along. What, uh, do, do you also, do you also have a virtual team or have you included those folks into these? Yeah, numbers? we have a virtual, um, we're all virtual, first of all, we, throughout the US. Right. Um, and we've so got what, a virtual. I, sorry, I meant offshore. Do you have an yeah. offshore virtual team as well? We do, yeah. So we have a uh, researcher and a sourcer who is incredibly impactful to what we do. It's again, systematizing everything. Um, every day he's bringing in 40 to 60 new leads with contact info. You know, we give them direction every week of, hey, we need to kind of map out this market. You know, these insurance brokers, almost like building out org charts every day and kind of teeing that up for us. It's, it's again, it's a concept of leverage. How can I, how can I invest in kind of outsource stuff that I'm not good at to leverage my time and my recruiter's time? Um, I want them to always be focused on revenue generating activities, being in the market, talking to people. So it's just little segments of the business. How do we find somebody who's a pro at this and um, build them out? So that's, you know, that's the that's the plan indefinitely. Like we've got teammates in the US offshore. I think the plan is, you know, once a quarter, maybe even faster, continue to add talent in the business. We run on a 180 kind of model um, where we're in a, such a grateful position with a lot of organizations we work with. It's a lot of delivery and candidate facing on the recruitment front with me, you know, operating more on a on a client uh, focused position and really helping on the senior level recruitment stuff too. So that's Got the model it. we work on. I know there's a lot of 360 out there that we've just we're really defined and like this is your focus. You know, become a absolute expert at this with a massive network, and that will pay off you know, over the long run. Awesome. So what you're describing sounds like what I might call the rainmaker model, where yeah. essentially you are the rainmaker. The owner is also the kind of uh, account executive and and kind of uh, lead person, like face of the company, brings in the business. You have an operations person who basically looks after the back office systems processes, making sure that everything else that's not, you know, um, bring in clients or recruiting, everything runs smoothly. You then have two recruiters and a sourcer who are uh, fulfilling the roles that you're bringing in. Is that a, is that an yeah, accurate exactly recap right. or have I missed? Nope, it's, okay. exa it's exactly right. And I think it plays well to our yep. industry because we almost have like ongoing opportunities. Insurance brokers cannot hire enough talented 
you know, entrepreneurial sales professionals and producers. So we're always out there, you know, following the industry, watching where talent's going. And so my team is always talking to folks, getting referrals, networking, following trends. And it's set up in a way that that um, we're going to stumble into short-term wins. But at the same time, it's the long game for us of, you know, how do we become the go-to firm for, you know, brokers who need help hiring sales professionals and then the producers themselves who need a company that can help them navigate the market that's very dynamic, very complex, a lot of different cultures and compensation plans and stuff out there. So that's how we're setting this up, um, you know, for long-term success. I love it. And so um, it sounds like if you can find the right clients to partner with and you do a good job and deliver, there's a ton of repeat business potential, mm -hmm. which is which is awesome. But how are you landing those kind of key clients, Pat? Especially as you said, like you don't really have any formal sales, you know, uh, training or whatever, but you must have a, an approach, a strategy that that is clearly working for you. Yeah, a um, couple of things on that. I would say, first, the industry that we operate in is very specialized. Like it is a, when you talk, you're, I know you're the biggest proponent of having a niche. I mean, we get really micro. Like we think of the commercial insurance industry. We only work in the brokerage sector. We only work in top 25 privately held firms. And then we only focus on producers, right? So it, it is like very, very um, defined expertise that, that resonates with leaders of insurance brokers because it, we're not chasing actuaries and claims people and um, not a knock against those people at all or even account management. Like we'll dabble in some higher level service people of a client says, hey, we really need help. We, there's a little bit of overlap there, but for the most part, we are you were defined focus and laser focused on the, on the production side of the brokerage industry. And so that value prop almost lands with, you know, chief revenue officers, chief growth officers, CEOs, COOs, because it's a pain point for them. And if we are only focusing on that and every single day, we're talking to people that might find their um, culture and their model and their firm interesting and that we can connect them almost as like the agent kind of fiduciary person, then, um, that's what that's what really resonated. I, so I think it's a very very focused um, niche that uh, that's that's really paid off. And I think also with no ego, I, I had a little credibility. My previous employer was one of the best in the industry, so having that logo on my my resume and kind of the network I built there, it added a little bit of credibility. Say, so, well, you got to know your stuff if you um, if you work there and you know these kind of people and you're connected with these kind of people and. So I was, you know, obviously grateful for that that opportunity that really, really helped establish myself in this um, this industry sector. That's all very. That's all completely logical. So you know, you're you're very laser focused on a niche, and it's one that you know, know inside out, and you have worked for one of the leaders in that niche. So you've that gives you even more credibility. Um, and there is a, as you say, there is a pain point there. Like if obviously when they're hire, recruiting salespeople, you know, that's adding revenue to their firm, right? right. So, um, so the, you know, there's, there's a very clear argument as to why they would be open to talking to you. Nevertheless, there's, there's still the creating those conversations, getting people's attention and in, in any market is difficult because people are bombarded, right? They're, they get so many 
LinkedIn messages, emails, phone calls, you know, you name it. And so is getting someone's attention long enough that they can even learn about your value proposition, right? Because if they don't know who you are, you know that you're a specialist and you bring up so much to the table, but they don't know that yet. So yeah. it's like getting their attention to the point when they're willing to give, spend some time with you. And then they go, oh, okay, I get it. This, you know, this seems like a, a you know, a no brainer. We should definitely use Palladium Point. Um, so what's been your most effective approach for getting that opportunity, yeah. the up at bat? Yeah, I think it's unique. Um, probably didn't expand upon it enough, but the, my, the clients that we worked with right out the gates were people I've known in the industry for years. So I haven't made, and I know this is, so there's gonna be some headhunters out there like you're full of it. I didn't make a single like cold outreach business development to an unknown contact in my first year of business. Um, it, wow, every single okay. client is somebody that I somehow knew, was somehow connected with. Maybe I tried to recruit them in my past life, um, but they were warm calls that, that like, hey, you, you knew me from this, let me tell you about what I'm doing and how I can maybe help um, your business. And so everything was warm. It's unlike, not just warm, like, like I've known these people for years. So there was already that established relationship and trust um, from years of interactions and following up and, and stuff like that. So I realize it's a very unique, it's not normal. Um, a lot that I know constantly here and how challenging business development can be in other market sectors and you know, lines of business and stuff, but where I, where I came from and how I just plotted things along and who I knew in the industry, it enabled me to have a, a fast start. So kind of going back to the plan, if you've ever thinking about it, it's like, you, you just want to stress test your, your, your relationships and your network, because if there's like low hanging fruit, like I was before I even started, I mean, I was, I was thinking, I was asking questions and saying like, Hey, if I do this, like, would you, would you, would you entertain a conversation? And sure enough, like my first client, was it? Yeah, definitely. And now they're a client that we've worked with for years and have made a, a huge impact on. Um, so it's just, it's all about relationships. You're going to hear it over and over in this conversation that people I've known for a long time that trusted me and knew knew what I brought to the table. Wow, that's awesome, man. Uh, it sounds like you had a, a, a not only a large network, but you had the relationships with your network that gave you a, a like a uh, a very fast start when you when you launch the business. Let's switch gears a little bit then, Pat, and um, talk about how you have kind of created those systems and processes for growth. Like, because I, I you've done such a great job with that, um, and and it's something I know that you're you know almost obsessive over. So, uh, could you talk about the the mindset? behind that and then how you've gone about it? Yeah, definitely. It's, um, it, again, it's, it's all about leverage for me. And it, and it was, it was thinking about what brings me fulfillment and energy, right? So if I, I, I went through a, a coaching cohort and I got to give this guy a shout out. He's, he's awesome. And his name's Khe. it's K-H-E, his last name's H-Y. And he runs a blog called Rad Reads. And, um, he was really successful in, um, as a hedge fund, like managing director, really successful on Wall Street and kind of like me, got a little more philosophical and stuff and started this kind of productivity um, kind of cohort coaching program. It's really, really cool. And I went through it and it really changed my approach and how I wanted to establish my business. And he has this thing, it's called the 10K framework. So it's like a four quadrant matrix where the 
x-axis is um, skill and the y is leverage. And so you've got, he calls it like 10, 10K work, 1K work, 100K work, and 10, $10 an hour work. And so it's like, I want everything I'm doing is to be high leverage, high skill, right? And so that is thinking, what systems do I need to enable me to almost on autopilot have things working without me thinking about them or worrying about them so I can then focus on, again, the you know strategy, vision, client development type of work. Um, so it was, it was going through that and thinking about that. And then we got real micro. We looked at, well, what are the sectors of the business that need um, not necessarily automation, but just systems like co consistent, repeatable stuff that throughout the process, A to Z, you know where to go to access information you need. Because we're, again, we're a remote team. I grew up in a bullpen agency kind of environment where you could like walk down to the other guy's desk cube and say, how do you do this? Or where do I get that? And that obviously doesn't happen virtually. So we, we've kind of set up the, again, we got ClickUp, we use Google Docs, we've got Slack, um, got an ATS that integrates with our email outreach. I mean, we've got just little, you know, slivers of everything we do that we're trying to say, how can we automate stuff while always feeling incredibly personalized? Because in our audience, you have to be credible, authentic, personalized. So it's not like we're, you know, automating everything we're doing, but it's more internally of just structuring things where things are easily accessible. There's not like headwinds and friction about finding stuff. And um, that's just it. I mean, again, there was not a ton of like upfront, like I was never a, you know, manufacturing guy or lean person of like, hey, this is how I want to set things up. It just, I, it's how I am as a person. I think you and I share some similarities around perfectionism almost to a fault at times, but I just wanted things to be really organized and clean and clear. So, you know, long-term again, we can all be freed up to do what we ultimately want to do. I want recruiters to come in and only focus on things that bring them energy that they like doing and think, how can I free up any of the other stuff so they can do what they, they, they do and what they enjoy to do. And, you know, that leads to more success, retention so much. And so I wanted to build that system that set that up um, for people to come in and want to be a part of what we're doing. Amazing. That's cool. Uh, there's so many directions I want to, you know, follow up, follow up on here. Um, we'll definitely put a link to that, uh, that person you mentioned in the, in the, in the show notes. It's, it's amazing how certain I, you and I both read a lot of books and, or mm -hmm. audio books or, you know, stuff like that podcast. And uh, I can find some benefit in pretty much most things that I consume, but there's certain either people or books which just stretch your mind more yep. than than others. And so for me, like Atomic Habits was one of those. Yep. Same. Uh, the E-Myth e you mentioned, um, definitely. But um, one that I'm reading now, which sounds like it's got some parallels to the the sort of mindset you're adopting regarding leverage um, is called 10X is easier than 2X. I got and, them two weeks ago. I haven't opened it yet. Oh, so I, you there gotta you give go. Me, you got to give me the review before I dive in. Yeah, yeah. So um, Dan Sullivan is the yeah. author who's, uh, who's based in Toronto. And um, I mean, it's one of those books where the title kind of gives away the main, you know, idea of the book, right? Where if you think about it, uh, it if you set out to double the size of your firm versus 10x the size of your firm, you're probably not going to, like, let's say you want to do that within three years, 
you're not going to necessarily work harder to 10x it than you are going to to 2x it, right? You're not physically, there's only so many hours that you're prepared to invest in your business because you've got your family, you've got other things. Even if you're working super hard, let's say you're working 40, 50, 60 hours a week, there is a, a limit to how much you're going to work, whether you're 10xing or 2xing. So from that, you can sort of infer, well, maybe it's not actually any more work or any harder to 10X, but it does require a different mindset, a different level of thinking, a different strategy. Maybe what I'm spending my time on needs to be different, right? Mm -hmm. And and the, you gave the example of the, the uh, X and Y axis where like, how can I identify the things that uh, I get a ton of energy on, but where I get the highest ROI on my time and that $10,000 an hour uh, activity versus the $1,000 an hour versus the $10 an hour activity. And if I can, you know, spend more of my time on those highest, you know, payoff activities, then that's going to, that's going to accelerate growth. Yeah. So the, the, the $10 um, an hour stuff that, in that lower quadrant, he, he says that's stuff you can do hungover. So if you're just like every day in your <laughs> inbox, like replying to emails, you know, just sort of messing around on LinkedIn and next thing you know, a day goes by, well, what did I really, what did I do to contribute today? Like those are easy. Those happen to me sometimes too, but this, I have that matrix up. I, I look at every, all day. I'm like, if I find myself being sucked into that kind of dopamine, like, hey, replying to this email or shooting this like one-off LinkedIn message or whatever, that that's 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 a, not a great place to be in because it drains my energy. It's not super productive. But if I can get the high quadrant, um, which is all about leverage. It's and the number one, it's like a force multiplier. The number one thing is is talent and people. And the same author, I don't know if you read Who yeah. Not How, that was their yes. that's Dan's other book. So that's about, yeah, who? Like I could do everything as the how, but I quickly realized that's not what I want to do. And it's more about now who and you know, creating opportunities, helping people move in their career places they didn't think they could go. Um, so it all is just sort of interconnected about leverage people systems like that's my that's my jam now i love it and totally like if you want a 10x obviously you can't do it by yourself right there's yeah. there's just no nobody could could uh could do that so yeah it's it's a different level of thinking it's well if i want a 10x then who would i need to you know have on my team that would complement me and, you know, uh, help to drive things forward so that there's an exponential growth rather than a, you know, um, I can't think of the opposite of exponential, but uh, you it know what I mean? It could just be steady, like, just kind of gradual, like yeah. a little line. But if I want a line graph that's shooting straight up. Linear yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Like linear growth versus exponential growth. Yeah. You, you know, to get the exponential, absolutely, we have to have like one plus one equals three and adding the talent to the team that are going to, going to take you where you want to go. Um, listen, before I, I want to hear more about the culture, the platform, the um, the business you're setting up that's going to continue to attract high quality people uh, where they can be happy and do what they do best. And ultimately, which is going to help you grow your firm and achieve your vision. Before we do that, I just wanted to let our listeners know that we are going to be in Florida in October, and we'd love you to come along and uh, spend a couple of days with us. So we are hosting a two-day training event for recruitment business owners this October in Florida. It's going to be in St. Pete uh, near Tampa, October 16th, 17th. 
If you're a fan of the podcast, this is a must-attend event. Um, Pat already mentioned how when he was launching his firm, he actually sought out people who'd been on the podcast and you know to pick their brains and so on. And so the quality of people coming to this event is phenomenal. If you want to hang out with the people you've heard on the podcast, then this is a chance to do that. So we have two previous podcast guest speakers, Andrea Colabella and Kimberly Lapel. So they've both agreed to speak. Uh, you'll be able to ask them questions directly. But even the attendees, people who aren't necessarily speaking, but who've been on the show. So Fernando Espinoza, Mike Williams, John Schlegel, Gail Audibert, Rich Rosen, you know, and more. These are the types of people that you get to hang out with. And could, they're coming to learn, but we're going to learn from each other. Uh, have an awesome two days together. So if you're interested in learning more about that, seeing the full agenda is recruitmentcoach.com forward slash Florida. And it's like most of the people there are going to be our members of our coaching program, but we're opening it up to non-members to give them a chance to see what we do and how we do it. And uh, also experience, you know, the, the, the awesome community and the quality of people that we've attracted here. So recruitmentcoach.com Florida, check it out. Pat, um, I, could you talk more a little uh, about building a business and a brand and a vision that others believe in and want to be part of? Yeah, it's, um, I think it's the most fulfilling aspect of what we've been able to accomplish over the past year is exactly that. And it's something where I look back, I think, how did this go from, you know, an idea to an actual brand with a logo and like a website and all the LLC that I've got framed, all these things that came together and then people believed in and were inspired to like be a part of. Um, that's something I'm grateful for every day. But what I did, and I've told this story before of how I brought in the initial team members were I had on it. Like I treated that as if it was a VIP position for a client. And it's a, you know, if you're looking to scale a team, I would highly encourage you to think of it that way too, because the only way to get real A players was, was going out there and just getting my story and vision out there and, you know, having the level of enthusiasm that I bring every day in those conversations. So I think it just people luckily and, you know, believed in me and gravitated towards the story. I think the entrepreneurial kind of startup environment is fun. And I just, I said, Hey, there, I'm telling you, there's something here. You can be a part of it. You look back in five, 10 years and say, I was the first or second in, and, you know, hopefully we're a team of however big we can get and you can play a role in like shaping that, you know, growing with it. And the, the story resonated and it, um, you know, allowed us to attract great people. And the cool thing is, is, is the sort of snowball effect now that we've got a good core group of people that want to mentor others, want to help recruit future team members. And so it just, it all just starts getting going. But, you know, I, I appreciate my early team members seeing that and believing in it. Um, and again, I, I create a platform that, you know, I think is hopefully a little unique out there. It's, you got a lot of flexibility, a lot of autonomy. I grew up in a KPI bullpen kind of culture. I'm not doing that here. This is a grown up kind of empowerment role. Like obviously we have deliverables and goals we need to hit. And we'll look back and say, what are the ratios? What are the inputs you need to get there? But I'm not setting it up as I'm going to monitor every call you make. And every, you know, every Monday morning you get a report of, are you red, green, or black on all these different things? That's not what I want. That's what drove me out of my, one of my, one of the factors that got me out of that was this. And so I'm like, I'm going to do this different and, and 
hire people who are accountable and independent and that want to make a difference and work hard and but don't need that level of like structure and rigid kind of metrics and stuff so again it's landed with people and um we're off to the races and i and i my hope is that we continue down that path and i'm never going to veer off like the foundation and the the vision the culture that that we've set up to this point amazing i love that and uh hundred percent. Number one is you've been very intentional about creating a culture. Like, and that's what I would ask our listeners. If you want to scale, have you got your culture by default or is it by design? Yeah. Right. You need to decide if you want to attract top talent to come and join you and, in, in, uh, you know, achieving your vision and, and, and your mission, you need to design the culture, uh, that is going to attract the quality of people that you that you want and who are also going to align with that and they're go- you're going to retain them because they are you know going to mesh well with in in that sort of uh, culture and no, the second thing you said yeah. sorry go ahead yeah you're absolutely right. I was just going to say if you came from a place where hey this was like the scorecard and this was the metrics it seems like that would automatically be like well that's how we did it and that's how I'm going to set this up but I'd argue it doesn't have to be that way. It's just more about your core values and how you want to do things and how you think the A players out there that you want to be have on your team, what are they going to want? It doesn't have to be, you know, just replicating what you've done in the past. I think you said it's got to be intentional. And yeah, it's just got to be aligned to your values and, you know, your style. And for me, that's that's how I operate. And that's how I want like-minded people to also want to thrive in a, in a place like this. 100%. You also said, Pat, something that we talk about a lot in our Apex program is, you know, if you want to attract the best people, you need to treat it just like you would any other search for a client and put the, you know, commit and put the necessary time, effort and energy into it. It can't be just like something you kind of do part time in between when you, you, you know, you have to take it seriously and you know, be as committed, as enthusiastic, as rigorous as you would if there was a large fee attached to it, which ultimately there is. Like, if you think about it, the highest value search that you have on your desk right now isn't the one from your client. It's your internal search for for your future team member. If you think of how much, you know, um, revenue that person could represent to you in the next, you know, year, three years, five years, however long we can keep them on board, maybe, you know, way past that. Um, not to mention, and that's the monetary value, but not to mention the leverage that you described earlier where, you know, you can't do it on your own. If you if you want to build something, then you need to harness the talent of, of other people and not just their talent, but their enthusiasm or commitment. And that's that's the part that I think a lot of businesses struggle with, Pat, is, you know, we people talk about um, you know uh, how there's such a lack of um, job satisfaction, employee engagement. Um, you know, how have you? Do you think you've been able to capture people's enthusiasm, commitment, where they actually want to come in and make things happen? Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. I mean, we have we set up the culture to have we have fun. Like this can be a mundane. You know, the, all the small little things you're doing, the activities and, you know, it can get, I, I say embrace boredom sometimes. Like if you're making the calls, you're, you know, doing the outreach or prepping candidates, a lot of that stuff, it just, you know, it can take a toll on you after a while because you're, it's a lot of repeatable 
stuff. So I, you know, we try to have fun. Like we've got a Slack channel that everybody, you know, we're, we're throwing in gifts and memes and just having fun and celebrating like virtual gongs made a placement yesterday and rang like a virtual bell, you know, just, just little stuff like that to, to try to celebrate wins and have fun. I'm extremely transparent communication, kind of similar to my buddy, Mike Williams shared, you know, just very open with, um, sharing where the business is at, um, financials, where are we going? You know, what's on my mind as the owner? Like, I want them to know exactly where we're going. So it's that they feel like a part of this right there with me. Although one's in California and Kentucky and offshore, we're going to have somebody in Texas. Like we're really, I want to build it. Like they feel a part of this, not just somebody who's out there, you know, opening up doors with candidates and submitting, you know, to the clients and doing a placement and then off to the next. Like I, I really want to set it up where they're, they're an equal part of this um, with me. So that, that was the vision all along. And I think it's, um, again, maybe a little rare, maybe a little unique. And it's, it's the people that have come on initially, that's what they wanted. Like they wanted something bigger. They wanted to help build something. They wanted to become future leaders and mentors and stuff. So it all just kind of the domino effect of like hiring the right people, thinking about it, building the systems for them to achieve what they want to achieve. It's all just kind of, it's, it's, it's kind of clicking. I mean, that's, that's really what we're doing. Um, so it's just, you got to have fun. You got to have engaging culture. You got to treat people with respect, always be very open and transparent. Um, and you know, that, that's, that's how I wanted to work. Like when I think back in my agency days, like I didn't have that. It was the opposite of what I'm doing now. And so I think back in that, I'm like, I wouldn't attract the kind of people I want if that was the setup that we were, that we were in, where it's always just like pushing the numbers and grinding and like looking at every little ratio and metric and stuff. Like that's not what we do. And the results are speaking for themselves that, um, you can be really successful if you hire people who are independent and you treat them with respect, you train, you coach, you give them the tools they need and let them, let them do what they want to do. I love it, Pat. It's, uh, it's obviously working for you. And as you say, you're only just getting started. Like, um, I'm excited to see where this journey takes you next. And, uh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your journey and what you've learned from your first year in business. Oh, I appreciate it, Mark. Like I said at the beginning, um, thanks for all you do and, uh, for the community and, and for anybody that's listening who has talked to me in the past or shared their wisdom, um, always grateful. Fantastic, man. Have an awesome day. See you soon. You too. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really wanna help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.